Welcome to the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast, where we talk strength training, science, and all things performance for cyclists and triathletes, helping you be a stronger, more savvy athlete now and for many years to come. Here's your host, Menachem Brody. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 181 of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast. I got to tell you, and I really mean this, I'm, I'm not saying this as a clickbait or anything, but I, I really am disappointed to have to make this. This is the episode I never wanted to have to make. Uh, that really is the truth. Uh, and we made it four years. I think four years ago we started the podcast, uh, February 2018, if I'm not mistaken. So we made it four years, and I was really, really hoping that we would avoid getting to this point or going down this path. But uh, fact of the matter is, we have not. So let me tell you what it is that we're going to talk about today. And that is lifting to failure and lifting one rep maxes to failure. I, I the, the pauses that are in here is really me. I, I've got my notes prepared. You'll hear me pick up a couple books as we go through to quote directly from sources so nothing is lost to translation or to my interpretation. I am just damn disappointed in us as a community, uh, us as human beings. And I know this is going to seem harsh, but the repercussions from blindly following research articles and, and professionals, experts who should know much better, who are just saying, oh, but the research shows that lifting to failure is going to give you better benefits. At what risk? At what risk? And the risk is massive. How can I point my finger and say that? Well, it's because I'm three times guilty of this myself. Uh, I created my own back injury many years ago as a competitive powerlifter because I read a research article that said drawing your belly button, your navel, in towards your spine, get 100% or 85 to 100% activation of the TVA. And I did not know my anatomy that well. I thought TVA, that wraps all the way around. Oh, awesome. That's going to help. I'm going to be able to squat more and deadlift more. And I blew out a disc. I herniated a disc despite my coach telling me not to do that. He was late one day. It happened in a warm-up set with 135 pounds, which was extremely light for me at the time, barely even, you know, considered an RPE of three or four for me. And um, the fact that we have well-established experts out there uh, screaming now, not only one rep max, but lift to failure. Um, yeah, it's just the episode I never wanted to make. I'm not going to leave you hanging, though. I'm going to give you some direction. Uh, you'll notice today my, my a little bit more uh, onto the emotional side. I wear my heart on my sleeve uh, at times, and this is definitely one of them because I, I am hoping, I am really hoping that this message gets out and takes off. Now, I tried to circumvent this a little bit. Uh, I did a keynote speak. At, um, I was a keynote speaker on day two at the Science and Cycling Conference in Bilbao, Spain. Um, this past year, 2023, and uh, I talked to the best researchers in the world. And I'm not saying that to boost my ego. These are the best researchers in the world. And I said to them, we are on the wrong train. We're wearing the wrong trousers. And I had the whole presentation was Wallace and Gromit, the wrong trousers. I had, that was my theme. I really wanted to create a visual and something funny, but serious that, that got through. And that is, we're looking at lifting heavy stuff. Yes, that is part of our path. 
but that is not what is going to increase our performances and we need to be smarter. We, we are going to create more problems than good. And now the rooster or the hen has come home to roost, the chicken has come home to roost. I pardon, pardon me, I haven't used that verbiage in a very long time, but um, we are not in a good place, ladies and gentlemen, as endurance athletes. Uh, I am very concerned about the future. This is not me crying wolf. This is me seeing the results of people who are on their bikes or running, biking and swimming most of the year, uh, heading into the gym and creating life-altering injuries. Life-altering. A back injury is not something that heals in four to six months. It is something that takes a toll on your life. Uh, we actually heard from someone whom this did, uh, Brian Carroll, uh, just a few episodes ago, world record holder in the squat, uh, co-author of uh, The Gift of Injury, which I would strongly implore, not encourage, I would implore, I am begging you, read Gift of Injury so that you become wiser about what exactly the devastation can happen from a back injury and how long of a path to recovery it is. Now, I'm all doom and gloom right now, but let's actually give an update for some stuff here. Um, my new book, Lift Heavy Shit, it could not be better timed uh, for its release. Uh, I was trying to get this out before we got to this point. Uh, that was the whole onus of it, was to try and teach people how to lift heavy shit intelligently. And uh, so it is titled Lift Heavy Shit intelligent strength training for the master's athletes, how to lift heavy stuff while increasing your longevity uh, and strength. So that is uh, being released here uh, in the next two weeks. Uh, it'll be available on Amazon. We're going to be running a special. So uh, keep your eyes open for that. It's just going to be, I think, two or three days we'll run the special. Uh, and then we have some cool stuff uh, for those who jump on that. And it'll be a very special pricing as well. And for those of you who are listening to this podcast the first time and you go, oh, this guy just has something to sell. I'm not in this for the money. I, I, like, I love what I do very much, and uh, it is about helping people. So if you want to click off and close the podcast, do so. I, I, that's You're right. I'm not going to sit here and argue with you. Uh, my book, like I just said, was trying to jump forward and beat this you know, to the punch. But unfortunately, there was a two, three experts, uh, very well-known, very big followings, who are now out there putting podcast interviews saying that you should lift to failure. Um yeah, uh, I, I can't put it much better than that. That's just really dumb. Uh, and we're going to talk here uh, about, uh, or we're going to refer uh, to Brian Carroll and Dr. Stuart McGill. Uh, why are we going to refer to them is uh, Dr. Stuart McGill has uh, done the most research and uh, the deepest research on the lower back when it comes to injury resiliency. He's published over 240 uh, peer-reviewed articles that peer review is very important because there are a lot of articles that are not. Uh, and Brian Carroll is uh, the all-time world's heaviest squatter. Uh, and he has had uh, and come back working with Dr. McGill from a devastating uh, life-altering back injury. So uh, again, we heard from him a couple of episodes ago. I think it was episode 178 or 179. Um, but today we're going to talk about what we are missing as far as uh, heavy strength training and the risks as they uh, present themselves to you and why lifting to failure is an absolutely horrible, stupid, dumb thing uh, and lacks any type of um, sanity, really. I, I can't put it any other way. Uh, this is, you can tell me, I know I'm going to ha get hate mail from this and I, I will tell each and every one of you right now that I follow those three experts. I very much value their opinions. I follow a lot of what they talk about, but I don't do so brainlessly. 
Uh, I do so with a critical eye, understanding my experience, the experience of my mentors and coaches, understanding the patients that I've worked with, the back pain patients, the cyclists, and the large number of people with whom I have the opportunity to talk with on a week-to-week basis. And I will tell you unequivocally, these experts are wrong. They are flat out wrong because they do not understand the repercussions. They do not understand that the benefits are far outweighed by the negatives. So let's start off with what exactly is lifting heavy stuff. For many of us, lifting heavy stuff refers to a gravitational pull or the weight on the bar. Uh, This is something that is uh, incredibly silly. Uh, I think uh, uh, that was one of the first things that I learned early on in my career, but took me three or four times as it should have, right? I'm new to strength training. I think you just need to lift heavy stuff up. Um, put it down and you'll get better. And uh, through my career as a coach, that is what I believed. Um, And again, like I said, I I can't point the finger unless I am three times guilty. So I have done this. I've been there. I am wiser for making these mistakes. And thankfully, nobody has gotten seriously injured uh, because I had uh, always wanted to build in a margin of safety to strength training because so many people were skeptical of strength training when I started. It was very much of let's do only the things that will help. So Thankfully, that curtailed the experimentation with heavier weights. But uh, lifting heavy is not actually going to be your performance limiter. So I'm actually going to read here directly from page 31. Uh, This is a little bit of an older uh, edition. This is Ultimate Back Fitness and Performance by Dr. Stuart McGill. This is the fourth edition. Uh, They're now up to sixth edition. And the reason I'm reading from the fourth edition is because uh, I don't want anybody here to think, oh, well, you're just taking something that's more recent. Uh, So this is 2004. We're talking about 20 years ago. This was already shared with the world uh, and was known. This is not new. Uh, It's actually older than that. I believe it's actually in the second edition for uh, Ultimate Back Fitness and Performance, which I had, which I actually threw out. It was uh, (laughs) highlighted, underlined, etc. But page 31, uh, exercise science in the back, removing removing confusion. Uh, Strength. There are many types of strength, and this is a direct quote. There are many types of strength, at least in terms of deficits to performance or limiting performance. Ultimate one-time strength or one rep max or max strength is rarely limiting. Rather, performance limits limits are almost always speed strength and endurance strength. Specifically, the rate at which force is produced, together with the rate of deactivation and the ability to continually produce force, is important for developing a program. It is interesting that strength training is considered synonymous with weight training for most people. However, this belief limits the potential for too many athletes. Furthermore, quote-unquote slow strength at the level of the muscle is quite often the easiest to develop of all necessary attributes. Perhaps those seeking rapid results gravitate to strength training. Speed strength is another matter. Now, this is really important for us to note because uh, what Dr. McGill is referring to is that one rep max or the amount of weight you can put on the bar and lift for one, two, three times is not often the limiter of performance. So if you go all the way back to, uh, I think it was episode seven and eight that we had Dr. McGill on here, uh, he talks about cycling and triathlon being a pulsing sport. Uh, What that is, is we are creating small pulses with our our, um, muscles, our fascia, our nervous system, uh, episode eight and nine, excuse me, uh, where we are creating these small pulses to allow us to move down the road. That is speed strength. That is our ability to control forces and pulse our way down the road. In no way, shape, or form does one rep max, two rep max, or three rep max have a significant outcome on that ability. 
but we are going to turn and look at what factors actually limit training outcome. What are the things that truly limit your ability to take your training and turn that into performance on the bike, the swim, or the run? So essentially, we need to look at uh, a number of things. Neuromuscular efficiency. Uh, so Dr. Uh, Roger Inoka, uh, 1994 research article, has documented extensively the science and understanding the enormous contribution of factors such as the ability to recruit and de-recruit muscle fibers or sections of the muscles. Trainability. The ability to progress depends on many genetic factors, ranging from chemical and cellular function to the anatomical variables. In addition, many previously trained adaptations can be re-obtained more quickly. Biomechanical efficiency and suitability, psychological factors such as uh, motivation, concentration, pain tolerance, perception, social factors. Uh, this is where we are greatly affected by others around us. Pain and fear of pain and fatigue. These are the seven factors that can affect our training outcome. So trainability, neuromuscular efficiency, biomechanical efficiency and suitability, psychological factors, social factors, pain and fear of pain, and fatigue. Now, these things are really what it comes down to that will improve your ability to see outputs or increased abilities on the bike. Now, the neuromuscular efficiency and biomechanical efficiency and suitability are the two I'm going to focus in on for right now. Um, this is the skill of cycling, and this is where I actually just had a comment uh, in the last week or so on my core strength training for performance, our core stability for performance video, where uh, somebody, it was very nice, they took the time to comment it. Um, I'll read the comment here in, in a moment, but essentially... What they said is that, oh, this might be nice for those who were, were beginning to, um, to strength train, but for those who are more advanced, uh, it, it doesn't really apply. And what's interesting about this, and, and I, I responded back, here it is. Um, there seems like, this seems like a great warm up for novice to strength training, but anyone who has done any real strength training or mobility work at all may not have the time or patience to go through these and may opt to go directly to more advanced stability work, which gives them more bang for their buck. For this, I find kettlebells to be very effective. Um, this is a common theme of I am above, I am advanced. And I'm not saying this to mock the person who, 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 post this. I, I'm doing this because this is the common thought and it is the ego getting in the way. And don't worry, I'm going to counterbalance this with what actual top performing athletes think. Many people think, oh, I'm, ab I'm above this, the bird dog. Oh, that's, that's for beginners. No, no, I, I need the uh, Instagram or, or uh, Facebook uh, uh, super complex stability. I need to add more variables. And here's the truth. And I am talking about working with Olympians. I am talking about working with top 10 athletes in their sport. I am talking about working with professionals who have long and very healthy careers. When we work together, those top performing athletes, Olympians, we're top, talking the top 50 people in the sport, in the entire world. They understand that it takes mastery over these kinds of exercises and the variations which challenge them to their appropriate level. I'm working two years ago with a top athlete, uh, not for injury, but for performance. And we are working on the side planks and the bird dog, and we are working on head position, the head position and the rib position, their performance gains. And their words, not mine. 
I'm seeing direct carryover, and this is far better than I thought. I never realized how much the head carriage helped me on my run and how much it was holding me back. They are looking to refine and master these simple things that are below those of us who are advanced. Yeah, that last one was uncalled for and a little bit mocking. And, and the point is, is I got to make you laugh about this because it's just so stupid. It is so stupid. Those who simplistically, to quote Dr. McGill, uh, those at page 34, those who simplistically believe that increasing strength or worse yet, simply hypertrophying a muscle will enhance performance have neglected the skill components required to produce the required strength at the precise instant in time. To quote Dr. Mel Siff, uh, co-author of Super Training or author of Super Training, just the right amount at the right time, end quote. This has been lost in too many of the Western programs when compared to the Eastern ones. That's what we're talking about in this core stability, right? This is the core stability workout, that core stability warm-up. That is an actually a very advanced warm-up that we went through. That is. And for most people, they go, oh, this is, this is yeah, I got it. Cool. Move on. I, I, I need to have, uh, I don't have patience for this. If you don't have patience for this, you do not have the patience or the right. You have not earned the right to lift up a heavy weight. And that's not just me saying that. This is actually something that Brian Carroll talks about in his book, Gift of Injury. He actually, uh, on page 27, he talks about uh, his, uh, calls it chapter three, charting my spine's demise. He gives the three or four instances of back pain uh, and how he didn't listen. Uh, and then in chapter, I believe it was chapter 20, uh, 13, training wisdom, uh, he talks about lessons earned the hard way and how when it comes to heavier weight, there is no room for error, mental or physical. And this is what most of us are missing. And this is what these researchers, again, I cannot stress that enough. They are researchers. They are not in the field practitioners because any strength coach, personal trainer, or strength trainer, whatever you want to call yourself, worth anything, worth salt, will tell you that you cannot just go and lift heavy stuff. You have to earn the right. Just because you can does not mean you should. But the really good ones will help you understand that increasing the strength is not what's actually going to improve your performance. It is improving your ability to create stiffness where you need it in the right amounts, to get movement where you need it in the right amounts. And this jump, this teenage-like charging down the road of lift-heavy shit to failure, mark my words, is going to ruin a lot of people's lives. The back, hip, and knee injury rate in cyclists and triathletes is already massive. I don't have exact figures, but I would venture to guess that at least six out of 10 cyclists who've been riding for at least two or three years have some type of back pain. You can't stretch it away. And you sure as hell cannot lift heavy shit it away. You need to understand the tissues that you are involving in lifting heavy stuff. You need to involve the skill and develop the skill of lifting heavy stuff. This is something that I thankfully learned very young, even though I was an idiot and I earned myself my back injury by not listening to my coach and following research. And some of you may say, oh, well, this is just you being upset with yourself. No, this is me having been there, done that, 
20-something years ago and trying to save other people from the literal pain and anguish. I was off the bike. I, I was told that I wouldn't perform sport again. I was told walking and maybe swimming. And even then, probably water walking. Right? I was 20-something when I did this. Your body will recover at 20-something. 50-something, we have now altered your life. Your ability to ride your bike has now been taken away because of some... You know what? who's just looking at numbers in a, a, a study performed in 20 to 30-somethings. And you want to say, oh, well, they had uh, 40 to 50-somethings. Well, they were probably in a lab supervised, first of all. And second of all, how long did the study go on for? Did it look at a full six-month, 12-month, one-year, one-and-a-half-year? Probably not. It was probably 8 to 12, maybe 16 weeks if we're lucky, and they did not chart what the adaptations were over time and how those people actually dealt with their day-to-day -day life. I'm going to let that sit for a minute. Now we're going to come back to uh, Brian Carroll and the gift of injury, uh, page 138. And if this turns you off and you don't want to hear me complain and be passionate about that, that's your, that's totally cool. But I really hope you don't come back and listen to this rep rest of this episode in three months, six months, a year, because you have a back injury and go, oh, right. I listened to that. What did he say? Too late. Now, here's the other part that we are blatantly ignoring. We already referred to this with the direct quote from page 34 in Ultimate Back Fitness and Performance about the skill, the skill that you need to develop. It is all about the control that you need to develop, right? Page 34. Many people right now are simplistically believing that increasing strength and hypertrophy is going to enhance performance, but they're neglecting the skill components. This is where it's not how much you lift, but is the technique and the thought process and how you lift something. Now, I'm not here as a charlatan. I just lifted heavy shit yesterday. I did. I deadlifted something I was told I would never do again 20 years ago. I was told you will never deadlift again, and I did it. And I did a good weight. And I'm not saying this as a, an ego. I did a very good weight. Everybody in the gym was stopping and looking at me. I don't like it. I actually don't like lifting in the gym because people do that. There's another gym that I much prefer where I can just lift what I think is heavy and really turn around and somebody else is doing more than me. Because then I get to watch how they're doing with, and how I can improve. But you know what? I was supposed to do a set of four. And this is one of the things my, my strength, my powerlifting coach, Doc Alkoff, may rest in peace, ingrained in me very soon. If it don't feel right, don't do it. And he's talking about the sensations, the skill of lifting. I had a set of four. I put the weight on the bar. Things were flying up. I got two good reps done. The first rep, the bar didn't start exactly where I needed it to, so it wasn't as clean. The second rep was a beautiful pull, came right up, straight line, looking good, moving fast enough. That third rep, I got it off the ground, but I did not have a good sensation of the corkscrewing, of the tensioning down to the ground. I got it about three inches up off the ground and put it down and said, you know what, that's it. Rested for 30 seconds, did a back down set with 30% uh, less weight. Sorry, 18% uh, less weight. My apologies. It was a bigger number for the last two reps. And when, as soon as I picked up that bar for that back offset for the first one, I was like, man, that was totally the right call. 
That's as somebody who competitively powerlifted for three years. And I'm not saying this is an ego trip. 98% of you listening don't have that background. Hell, 90% of you don't even videotape yourself with your smartphones from the side to critique your own form. Where have you earned the right to lift heavy stuff? Where? Because a researcher told you? Because that's what you're supposed to do? If you want to lift heavy stuff, I'm all for it. But you've got to understand the consequences. And lifting to failure, and this is where we're going to get into the negatives, lifting to failure is the dumbest thing you can do as an endurance athlete. Let me just list the reasons. We'll start off with the number one, and that is you have not earned the right. That is exactly what I was riffing on a second ago. You have not done the repetitions. You have not ingrained great technique. You have not tuned your ability to maintain a core brace to allow movement from the hips and shoulders while maintaining proximal stiffness in through the spine and rib cage. Your discs are probably being pushed towards the back in your spine because you're out there riding your bike most of the year. How many of you can't even lift your hands up over your head without uh, kinking your back or arching your back? You don't have the shoulder mobility. I'm not saying that you need to have the shoulder mobility, but you sure as hell better be able to brace your midsection and keep your shoulder blades where they need to be in order to keep the tension down to the bar and down to the floor through your body. That goes for squats and deadlifts. And the vast majority of cyclists just don't because our sport and triathletes, our sport, our being on the bike for so many hours requires us to be in a rounded forward position. Our diaphragm is not aligned with our pelvic floor when we stand. Our head is in forward head uh, posture. We have detuned the system. You need to take the time and have the patience if you want to truly lift heavy shit and see lifelong benefits as opposed to a short-term gain and then an increased likelihood of strength or um, injury as opposed to strength. You need to take the time to do reps slowly. Not only does that help you improve your strength and improve your skill of strength training, but it also improves tendon health. It also improves bone health. It increases time under tension. It increases the neurological recruitment that you need in order to help you see the returns with a much lower weight. Most of you don't actually need to lift heavy stuff. You need to lift moderately heavy stuff to where you start to feel fatigued. And we're not going to failure. We go to an RP of eight. I still got two good reps left. And this leads to number two. Reason number two, you should not lift heavy stuff. You are an endurance athlete. Endurance. Your energy available to repair the tissues from lifting heavy stuff is going to be extremely limited, as it should. This is one of the big complaints for a lot of cyclists and endurance athletes. I don't have the time. And yet they're going into the weight room lifting heavy stuff. They're sore for four days and saying, oh yeah, I'm lifting heavy stuff. I'm following the research. No, that's just plain dumb. You should be strength training enough to where you feel somewhat fatigued. Yeah, maybe you're sore a little bit the next day or two days after. Occasionally, will you be really sore two days after? Yes. Delaying onset muscle soreness when you start a new program, even when you lift an RPE of seven, so you still got three good reps left in the tank, can cause delayed onset muscle soreness, but that should not be a regular occurring thing in your program. Exception being you're under the age of 25. My developmental cyclist that I got for the track program, yeah, we go there. 
about twice a year. And I tell them, you guys are going to be sorish tomorrow and the day after because we are pushing. But it's only going to be like that for this week. And after that, you'll start to feel a whole lot better. And guess what? That is exactly what happens. I felt like garbage the first two hours of the ride, but my last two hours, I was flying and I didn't even feel like I was working. Exactly. Because while we made you a little sore because we were pushing the tissues towards their limits, we didn't shove you off a cliff like Wiley Coyote. We took you to the place where you had enough tissue damage you could recover and then riding your bike, lo and behold, helps you recover. Because it's a sport, it's something your body's familiar with. It's getting deep tissue blood flow. It's moving all of the byproducts out. It's allowing you to hit the energy systems. It may take a little bit to get there, depending on your level, but you will feel better. The number of days that you should feel like garbage on the bike because of your strength training in a training year, a full training year, 365 days, should be less than five. And of those five, maybe one or two where you're like, man, I just, I'm pedaling squares. So check yourself. Is that actually what you're experiencing? Or is it happening every Tuesday and Thursday? You finish your strength training on Monday and Wednesday. Tuesday, Thursday, you're pedaling squares. You're like, man, I just can't pedal my bike. Good thing I'm on the trainer. Otherwise, I'd fall off and be all over the road. Man, you got to check yourself and see what's going on. The third thing that we need to keep in mind when lifting heavy stuff, aside from the skill Aside from the fact that you are an endurance athlete and you need energy available for other things in the body, is that big weights, as Brian Carroll puts it on page 138, big weights require a big mindset. And he talks about something that I've seen a lot of cyclists do. Either they go from zero to 100, where they go a warm-up set with an empty bar, and then they go right to their working set at RPE 8-9. I've seen that, and it is ugly as hell or they take too long to warm up. Both of these is incorrect. You need to be able to be to turn on your internal power box, as uh, Brian calls it, accordingly. So let me just read from him, because he put it very well here. When it comes to heavier weights, there's uh, this is page 138 in Gift of Injury. When it comes to heavier weights, there is truly no room for error, mental or physical. I used to build my sets with increasing load from moderate to heavy, all the while adjusting my internal power box accordingly, from mild to medium hot to what I perceived to be raging hot. As it turns out, this slow ramp up was a huge mistake. There is no room for self-conscious or worry about how others in the gym perceive you. Since overcoming my injury and adjusting the way of thinking, I crank the internal furnace so that I start the inferno hot and end up totally consumed by the fire by the time my body notices that a weight is heavy. If you start at this level, your body will continue to stoke the fire naturally as you progress through your sets and increase the weight. Step up to the barbell, ready to fight to the death. And I need to underline that. Fight to the death. Emphasis is mine. From your first lift of the day to your last. It is here that you have to trust the foundation you've laid in perfecting form, emphasis mine, and believe that your body has now been conditioned to sustain the battlefield without compromising technique and exposing yourself to injury. I don't really know many cyclists or triathletes who are not being properly strength trained coached who can do that. One, that have great technique and form. Two, who have learned how to stoke the fire. And I can't think of a, a, a better way to put that, stoking the fire right? Uh, so I've heard a number of, of great coaches uh, for powerlifters and Olympic weightlifters talk about how 
when these athletes, the great athletes, walk up to the bar, they are uh, they are in the mentality uh, of committing. Uh, um, they're killing the bar. I, I, there's no other way to put it. It's not nice, but that's what it is. They are going up to the bar to commit essential murder. And I, I know, I know, especially nowadays, we don't say that, but that is that is the level of intensity that they have in their mentality. And while some riders or some strength trainers, I will say actually some powerlifters and Olympic weightlifters need that amping up. This is where we get that heavy metal, right? So you think about um, West Side Barbell and the heavy metal and, and you know death metal. Some athletes need that. The slapping, that is another thing that you'll see with these uh, athletes. They need that adrenaline rush. That's on one side of the coin. The other are those who are incredibly calm before they walk up to the bar. And you tend to see this more in Olympic weightlifting where they're very calm as they walk up to the bar. And then there's this massive explosion and direction of force. Most cyclists just walk up to the bar. It's lightweight. They take it casually. And this is something I work with all the athletes that I, I work and I coach. You never pick up a weight casually. You are always, whether it's two kilos or 250 kilos, you pick it up with the intent of it being 300 kilos. You have to refine that skill. That's it. I could go much longer, but I, I think it's best to leave this as a short exclamation point with a nice big dot, sharp dot on the bottom. Lifting heavy stuff is not the answer. It is not. We are not looking for maximum weight. Again, as, as we have quoted here, I'm going to read it again. Those who simplistically believe that increasing strength or worse yet simply hypertrophying a muscle will enhance performance have neglected the skill components required to produce the required strength at the precise instant in time. Just the right amount in the right time. We've lost it. We have lost it. We have gone far too far down the rabbit hole of lifting heavy stuff. And I implore each and every one of you, use your brain. Take a step back and critically look at what you are doing. Have you taken the time to refine your technique and how you do an exercise or are you just adding weight to the bar? Every single repetition of your squat or deadlift should look exactly the same. You're doing a front squat, it should look exactly the same as the next rep of the front squat, whether you have 2 kilos, 20 kilos, 45 kilos, 100 kilos. Every rep should look the same. When you do that and you let perceived exertion, or if you want reps in reserve, someone emailed me saying, what about reps in reserve? That also works, same concept. So leaving two to three reps in reserve or RPE seven, if you do that and you show up week in and week out for your one to two days of strength training and you are able to train or you make your training in a way that you are able to recover and adapt quickly the next morning you wake up and you're able to train with high quality on the bike, the run, or the swim. You do this for a couple weeks, a couple months, a year, two years, your performances will continue to go up. I have a laundry list of athletes, of clients, decades long, decades long, of all walks of life, from the 19-year-old college student who wants to qualify and even maybe win USA Cycling Nationals, to the 72-year-old granddad who wants to be able to complete a 100-mile century ride, his words, not mine, and feel good the next day and not have back pain 
after getting off the bike, beyond what would be expected. You know, a little bit of an ache for an hour or so, his words, not mine. Every single one has improved and increased their longevity. They've improved the quality of their life. They have lifted heavy stuff in a way that is responsible. And as a community, we need to say enough. Don't tell me what the research says. Tell me the responsible expert opinion and the expert way as a strength trainer, not as a researcher. Tell me the responsible way that I can responsibly and carefully implement this without ruining my body for the rest of my life. When we as a community say enough, research is done in a bubble. I want to know that this is going to improve my longevity, improve my health. Great, those are the benefits. What are the risks? What do I not know here? Then, and only then, will we be able to proceed down the path to improving cyclists and triathletes' performances as opposed to destroying bodies and destroying lives. Harsh statement, but the consequences of overtraining and swim, bike, run are that you're mentally burned out, and that's a very tough thing to go through and physically not wanting to do stuff, but you can get through that. Most people bounce back from that. It might take six months or so, but when you ruin a back, you have now altered the path of your life. There are a lot of things that you won't be able to do possibly ever again, if not for many months, like sitting in a chair comfortably, laying in bed and sleeping through the night, turning over in bed without causing sharp, debilitating pain. Be smarter. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, I hope this has gotten through. Share the message. Listen to what other people have to say, but man, we've got to be smarter. We've got to do better. All right. Till next time, train smarter, not harder, because it is all about you. Talk to you guys soon. That's it for this episode. Check out humanvortextraining.com for more great content and to keep learning. 